Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast from the First Christian Church in Great Bend, Kansas. We are a church with a mission of inspiring ordinary people to live extraordinary lives for Christ. It really doesn't matter who you are, what you have done, or how you choose to worship. You belong here. We pray that this week's sermon blesses you and that you feel God's presence through it today. So today we are in the third week of our sermon series called Facing the Wilderness. And in this series, what we're doing is getting into the lessons offered by the wilderness stories of the Bible regarding what they have to teach us about navigating life's most difficult moments. And now that we have learned that the wilderness is the difficulty we all have to face, whether we want to or not, to get from where we are to where it is that God is calling us to be, which is the wilderness paradigm we've been talking about, and that facing and enduring the wilderness is usually one of the hardest things you will ever do, but if we have our why, we can face any what. This morning, and to continue to build upon all that we have learned, we're going to be getting into how oftentimes it is in the wilderness when we're up against it, where God shows up in unexpected yet powerful ways to give us what we need, not necessarily what we want to face and endure, whatever it is that life has to throw at us. And to show you this, I'm going to need to walk you through the amazing story of the great prophet Elijah. And if this is one of those stories you've never heard before, you need to hold on. This is kind of one of those heavy metal stories from the Bible. Really, really amazing story. So the background of the Elijah story is this. King Ahaz of Israel ended up marrying a foreign woman named Jezebel. And what Jezebel began to do after she became queen is she began to influence King Ahab to have the Israelites turn away from their God to the Canaanite God Baal. So much so that Jezebel actually gave the orders to have all the prophets of the Lord, of the God of Israel, killed. So this is a big deal going on in the land of Israel. It's a huge, huge kind of uh, switch from what they're normally used to, which in turn or the events that eventually led to this huge showdown between Israelites' God and the God of the Canaanites. So the story begins in 1 Kings 18, 22 through 24, and it says this, Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bowls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bowl and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God and I'll call on the name of the Lord, the God who answers by fire. He is God. So basically what's going on here in response to all that Jezebel has done is Elijah, the great prophet of God, has put together a contest between the Lord, the God of Israel, and Baal. And all to show the people of Israel who God really is. And the way this contest is going to work is up on Mount Carmel, Elijah and the prophets of Baal are going to erect their altars to their God. So there's going to be two altars. And then on those altars, they're going to sacrifice two bulls. And after getting everything ready, both of them are going to begin to call out to their God to rain down fire so that whoever answers by fire, that is the real God. So Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bowl given to them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning until noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered, and they danced around the altar they had made. 
So basically what's going on here is they get everything ready for the sacrifice and to really get the attention of the gods, they begin to dance and do whatever it is their custom is to do to, to get God's attention. And there's 450 of these guys, right? So there's a ton of people dancing and going around here. And yet, even though there's 450 of them doing that, nothing happens. And so at noon, this is my favorite part, Elijah begins to taunt them. Elijah begins to talk trash to them. That's another way to say the same thing. He said, shout louder. Surely he is a God. Perhaps he's in deep thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. Or again, he's talking trash here. He's trying to get under their skin. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears as was their custom until the blood flowed. Midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Or what they're doing here to really get the attention of their gods, which was their custom as they begin to cut themselves and bleed because somehow in their mind, blood gets the attention of the gods. And yet, even though 450 of them are doing this, from morning until evening, right? We're talking about eight hours these guys are doing this. This is a significant thing. Their God never answers. So Elijah said to the people, come here to me. They came to him. He repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob. With the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord and dug a trench around it large enough to hold two cephs of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Or in the same way, the, the priest of Baal put together their altar and began to do their thing. It's now Elijah's turn. But what he does that is different, as after he sets everything up to show what his God really can do, he has the people begin to drench this altar in water. Not just once or twice, but a total of three times. So much so that the, the, the uh, moat, if you will, around it is filling up with water. And what he's doing is he's making it even harder for his God. He's like, I'm going to really show you what's going on here. And then at the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and I have done all these things that you commanded. Answer me, Lord, answer me. So these people will know that you, Lord, are God. And yet this time, instead of nothing happening, something amazing happened. Just try to imagine being there for something like this. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, of course, to see something like that, this is what you do. They fell prostrate. They fell onto the ground and cried out, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Which is absolutely amazing, right? Now, you would think, after all of that miraculous craziness, that Queen Jezebel, upon hearing what had happened, would come to her senses. But as the story goes on to explain, after King Ahaz tells her what happens, he was actually there for this event. This is her response. Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me be ever so severely if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Or what she's doing here, she is doubling down and she promises Elijah that he is going to be dead soon. And even with that threat, you would think given all that just happened, that when Elijah heard this, he wouldn't have been scared. He wouldn't have been worried about his life because he knows from experience that God is going to keep him safe. And yet, and yet this is his response. Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. 
Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. Yeah, the guy who just called down fire, which is also the same guy that God kept alive and safe by having ravens bring him food. He takes off running into the wilderness because he was afraid for his life. And then as he's out there in the wilderness trying to figure things out, you know, running from all of this, he came to a broom bush and sat down under it and prayed that he might die. Had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, I'm no better than my ancestors. He laid down under the bush and fell asleep. Or or because of all that Elijah's up against, he gets to that dark place that many of us know too well. Where where because things are hard and they don't seem like they're going to get any better, right? Which is what the wilderness is all about. Elijah simply tells God that he's not only had enough, but he actually asked God to take his life. And yes, You heard that right. This great prophet Elijah who just called down fire and has seen so many things in his life, he is the one asking for God to take his life because he just can't do it anymore. Or how many of you might just know this place Elijah finds himself in? Maybe not to the extent where you're asking God to to take your life, but that place where you just don't think you can go any longer. You just want to quit. Yeah, we all know that place, don't we? Well, what God does in response to this wilderness that Elijah finds himself in is all at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some baked bread over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat. The journey is too much for you. So he got up, ate and drank. Now, what I want you to notice here about the way God answers Elijah's prayers is God doesn't give Elijah what he wants, right? No, the way God answers his prayers is by giving him what he needs. Or more specifically, he sends this angel to provide him with the substance he needs to just keep going, to get from where he is to where God is calling him to be, which in my mind is something I think we've all got to pay attention to for about what it has to teach us, about how God shows up in our lives when things get difficult. And that how we find God responding to Elijah is not by giving him an easy way out, not by giving him what he wants. No, instead, God answers his prayer by giving him what he needs. Or maybe to think about this in another way. In the wilderness, God doesn't usually just swoop in and take us out of that place, even though that's our prayer, even though that's what we want more than anything. Now, according to this story, how God shows up when we're up against it is he sends someone to help us get what we need. And then for me, what makes this story even more interesting and relatable to our own lives is that the Hebrew word we translate as angel just means messenger. It really just means messenger. So it's not necessarily talking about some divine being showing up to help us, although it can mean that too. No messenger here and in many other places in the Bible can also refer to God just sending people into our lives to give us what we need. Or... To give you guys an example of this, during my 23 years of ministry, I have walked through a ton of wildernesses where all I wanted to do because being a minister was just too much was to just walk away to find something easier to do. And this is not just me. I give you my experience. We've all been to this place. But what has happened to me almost every single time I find myself in the wilderness is that God has never sent any kind of divine being into my life that I'm aware of. And neither has God just swooped in and taken care of everything for me. No. What happens is my friends and family seem to show up at just the right time, but not to give me what I want, right? But to give me what I need to just keep 
going. And there's no doubt if it wasn't for those people who continue to show up in my life, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today. Or how many of you have experienced God sending messengers into your life, not in the form of a divine being, although that can happen, that's amazing, but in the form of friends and family. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So maybe what that means for us is the next time we find ourselves out in the wilderness, we shouldn't be waiting for God to do something supernatural or just God to show up and take all of our difficulty away, but instead should learn to listen to those people. God has already put in our lives as the answer to our prayers standing right in front of us. Come on now. It's simple, it's easy, but it can change your life. But even with all of that, we're still not done learning all that Elijah has to teach us. Because what happens next is after the angel gives Elijah what he needs to keep going, we then find Elijah traveling 40 days and 40 nights through the wilderness to the mountain of God where God does this to teach us even more about how to face the wilderness. So in 1 Kings 19.11, it says this, The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And to me, what seems to be going on here is after all that Elijah has been through to help keep him going, God himself is going to show up to give him what he needs. And I'm sure at this point, after all that Elijah has seen, all that he has been a part of, what do you expect to happen when God actually showed up with something big and magnificent? You know, like fire coming down from the sky, which is something he just experienced. And yet, this is the amazing part of the story. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. All, in all the big and amazing things, the places where you would expect God to show up, God is not in those things. No, instead, no, instead, after the fire came a gentle whisper. After the fire came a gentle whisper. In Hebrew, it means little quiet. So that Elijah, when he heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Or that is how he knew he was now in the presence of the creator of the universe. And to me, what this story seems to be teaching us about the way God oftentimes shows up in our difficult moments in life is, again, God is not necessarily going to be found in the miraculous or through big and powerful things. Although that that happens for, to you, awesome. Go with it. That's amazing. No, the way God usually shows up in our lives, the way we find God in the wilderness is in silence. And in my mind, the reason we're able to hear God speaking in the silence or the reason this is so important to get is because silence is the only place where we turn things off long enough to actually listen for God's still small voice speaking in our lives. I mean, think about it. We live in a time and in a place, especially the younger generations, where all there is is noise. From morning until the time you go to bed, you're listening to some kind of noise. It's no wonder we can't hear God speaking in our lives. We don't even take a moment to listen. And so what I believe all of that has to teach us today about how God oftentimes shows up in our wilderness is in most cases, the way you should expect God to show up is not by swooping in in some miraculous way and just taking care of everything for you or even answering your prayers in the way you want them to be answered. 
And what this story has to teach us is God is actually really, really good at using the people closest to us to speak into our lives. Right? Those people who have the Spirit of God living in them just like we have the Spirit. Yeah, God uses that Spirit within them to speak to us. And then even more than that is if we will take the time to shut everything off, maybe, just maybe, we'll be able to hear that sound of still, small, that still, small voice in that quietness of God giving us everything that, that we need to just keep going. And I know it sounds simple, I know it sounds easy, but if we'll do this, if this is something we'll actually put as a part of our lives, you will be amazed how much guidance and direction you can find by just listening to others and by just taking a moment to listen for God. Let us pray. Father, we come to you again this morning, and we are so grateful that you are a God who speaks into our lives. And yes, we would love for you when we're in the midst of the wilderness to show up in amazing and miraculous ways. And if you choose to do that, we will accept that as well. But as this story shows, Lord, help us to be the kind of people who don't just expect big things, but listen to others. The kind of people who actually take some time during our day to shut everything off and sit in silence. Sit in that moment where we just attune ourselves to listening for you speaking into our lives. Or help us, O oh Lord, take this information. And for those who are in the middle of the wilderness, help them use it right now. But for those who are not, help them to remember this for the next time their wilderness comes. So we can be a people that with your help can face and endure anything this life has to throw at us. Lord, it's in your name and for our sake that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon, and we hope you are able to join us next week. To learn more about FCC Great Bend, visit us online at firstchristianchurchgb.com. Again, that's firstchristianchurchgb.com. God bless and have a great week.